Oh. Boy. There we go. There's always yeah. such a delay in it. <laughs> and my favorite part is like Twitter just adds like four steps to accept yeah. and respond and then you have to do it again. There was <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember back in the day on Twitter, somebody said the hardest job in computer science apparently is correctly marking the number of unread messages in your DMs because he would constantly read them and they'd still show up as unread. This is way back in the beginning. Let's get my cat. My, my buddy's in the car right now. <laughs> Sorry. That. I was saying. Oh, no. Do you know Mike Cavalier, yeah. Sean? No. So do you know Echo Bind? Oh, yes. I do know it. Echo Bind. I remember. Echo yeah. Bind is going yeah. to be potentially the first sponsor of MS Jam. We're still working it out, but it's most likely going to be a thing. Anthony. What's up? Awesome. <laughs> Good to meet you, Mike. Good to meet you all. How you doing? Yeah, welcome. Excited to have I'm... you here. I think, Mike, we might have met once at a conference. And actually, we've wanted to get someone from Echobind to talk about Bison on JavaScript Jam at some point. Yeah, we'll have to set that up. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want to. Yeah, we'd love to. Yeah, there's some things gradually going on in Bison world. We'd love to talk about it. Hit me up or hit anybody up. Oh, great. That's exciting. Thanks for joining. Scott, you want to kick us off and um, yeah. get started? Absolutely. All right. Hey, everybody, welcome. Today is Wednesday. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Welcome to JavaScript <laughs> Jam Live. We do this every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is where we talk about anything and everything. Web dev, JavaScript. Yeah, good stuff. Whether you're a beginner, whether you've been doing this forever, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from you. In fact, actually, we love it when the audience participates because that's typically when the most value is given and not just that received. So we love it when you participate. So feel free if you have any questions or if you just want to partake in the conversation at hand, raise your hand. We'll bring you on up. Don't raise your hand, but request a guest. We'll bring you on up and we can get you involved in the conversation. So. By the way, if you want to be even more a part of what we do and get more value from us, if you've already gotten value from us, then go to composability.dev and register. And we'll be sending out a newsletter soon and all kinds of cool stuff. So join up. Don't miss out. And now I'm going to take it over and give it to Ishan, who is our co-host, our host, I guess you could even call it, for JavaScript Jam Live. Oh no. oh, no. Co-hosts. It's definitely a team effort here. Scott makes the magic happen. I just seem to show up. So one thing I just do want to add is on composability.dev, we had the composability summit last week. So actually, a week ago today. This session was actually a live panel on build versus buy in the technology stack. But there's something like 26 other talks we had over three days. If you go and register, you'll get access to all of those. Just give your email. It's entirely free. So I wanted to just give that shout out. Yeah. And as, as Scott said, this is like an open mic. So anything JavaScript and web development is on topic. I, I and a couple of the speakers and regulars come with topics to talk about. Certainly feel free to raise your hand and we're happy to talk about whatever's of interest at the moment. So to kick us out, one thing that I saw in news of the day, there was an interview with Douglas Crockford. I don't know how many people remember Crockford back he's before these modern frameworks. He was one of the thought leaders in the JavaScript ecosystem. He's famous for a book, JavaScript, the good parts. I don't know how many, I'm just curious. You, yeah. you missed an important uh, credential was that he invented JSON. <laughs> 
Jason, right? Yes. Actually, he says, he, I think the interviewer actually said he discovered Jason. But yes, he invented Jason. So we all... That's the part that just way of calling himself the inventor of Jason. <laughs> <laughs> he also created... So he was the one who created JS Lint, which was the original linter for JavaScript, which became superseded by JS Hint, and then ES Lint came a year later. That's a good point. <laughs> and it's actually important because JS Lint was just basically catch all the bad parts of JavaScript. Like he was trying <laughs> to fix the language. So did anybody else catch? There was an interview on, what was that website? I put it in the notes doc. I'm not familiar with this. I thought yeah. the high level like thing, which was that he said you shouldn't write JavaScript, which to me like seems like a version of probably what he said and an inflammatory way of presenting it at the headlines. So I was like, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I wanted to lead off with. If you read the interview, it's a really short interview and there's only really a paragraph or two about it. And he said, in your opinion, what changes are going to be the most important? And I can't remember who it was. I think there's an interview I saw with one of the guys from Dino who was, okay, here are the upcoming things that I think are most interesting in the new proposals. And you expect that from somebody who's so used to the ecosystem. But Douglas says the first line is, so I'm reading it right now. It says, in your opinion, what expected changes in JavaScript are going to be the most important? Douglas, the best thing we can do today to JavaScript is to retire it. 20 years ago, I was one of the few advocates for JavaScript. It's cobbling together of nested functions and dynamic objects was brilliant. I spent a decade trying to correct its flaws. I had a minor success with ESFOB, but since then, there's been a strong interest in further bloating the language instead of making it better. So JavaScript, like the other dinosaur languages, has become a barrier to progress. We should be focused on the next language, which should look more like E than JavaScript. And that's about all he says in it. The next question actually is, do you think JSON has already won the battle over XML? And he's yes. And then he's, he points to a link. But that's, he doesn't elaborate any further. What he's saying is that we need to start EGM live. You know, there's only two hard problems in computer science, naming things and yeah, coming next week will now be the, the podcast formerly known as JavaScript Jam Live. But yeah, I'm curious what other folks' reactions were. I would have thought, let me pause and see what folks think. I have my reactions, but. Yeah, I'm similarly conflicted. It, it, I, I really wish there was detail because it's very much somebody who is seminal in the growth of JavaScript likes saying, yeah, I don't use it anymore. I can probably... In my head, speculate that there's some value to what he's saying. JavaScript itself was like HTML was thrown together and evolved to suit completely different purposes than it was intended for and has grown, but maybe not thought of from the ground up in a long time. I just met Doug Crockford as a creator of E as well. <laughs> so maybe that's, he's like, all right, I worked on all these things. Yes, no, it's when I'm entirely unbiased. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I'd really love to hear him elaborate more. I don't think any of us thinks JavaScript's going anywhere anytime soon, but it's valid. It's valid that she sees some, some bloat with it. And JavaScript is evolved, but we're not rewriting the interpreters under the hood from scratch or rethinking the language from scratch. Take that as you will. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah. I think anytime something comes around like HTML or JavaScript or so many other things out there. People want to build off of these things new and shiny, and then it gets more and more. But I understand the whole bloat piece of it. But there's bloat from different perspectives as well. I feel a lot of people are in it to make some money too. And when there's a lot of money to be made from certain things, certain languages or whatever, because it's so widely used, obviously, I'm, 
and not just because of that, but then therefore there's going to continue to be more development with that area or within that language because in considerate bloating, because it's people trying to. So there's like a know. financial incentive to add a stuff. Oh, heck yeah. Not to remove stuff from Josh. Like there's right. no one wants like, to pay anything to remove something. If you remove something, you break something. No one wants that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think of it slightly different than financial. I think of the reason JavaScript became popular had nothing to do with the qualities of the language and simply because of the platform it was tied to. Because Mike talked about it, it was like it's being used for a purpose it wasn't intended. The somewhat apocryphal story is he built it together in two or three weeks when Brent and I created the language. And it's just been totally collage pastiche together in the decade since. And if there's a, it means it's two things. One is that there's an entrenched ecosystem which is only has network effects. It'll only get better. Like an ecosystem isn't just developers, it's, or, or front-end code. It is runtimes. It is the investment in browsers and performance that is just huge. And I, I don't know how that would ever get replaced. And I think the answer to that is, and that's my second thing, is if there is a competition, it's going to come in two directions. I think it'll be the rise of a new platform. Like the reason JavaScript took over from, let's say C or C plus is because JavaScript was tied to the web and the web won over other platforms and it wrote that. So an example competing platform was native applications. And we saw JavaScript, sorry, Java, you saw Kotlin, Objective-C and Swift rise in popularity because it's tied to those platforms and people want to develop for those. The dark horse here, and that's the second one, is to me WebAssembly. A lot of the really entrenched ecosystem, and by that, the runtimes and the browsers, I think are tied to, they're the ones that are hard to replace. I think developers are a little faster. Look how long it took to get rid of E. And so what WebAssembly might allow us to do is be an escape hatch where other languages can program for the web in a way that JavaScript has been able to do, but we're not there yet in terms of performance and in terms of API coverage area like just talking to the DOM and things like that. And my expectation isn't that JavaScript will get replaced because there isn't a 10x better reason yet to Python inside your browser, unless you happen to be doing data science and your backend's also in Python. But to me, that'll be just be like, like a TV and radio thing. They'll be coexisting ecosystems. But that might be the one area that we end up getting a replacement from JavaScript is that or something like TypeScript, which takes the existing language and says, oh, you don't have to do as much of a migration. So I think Blazor yeah. actually has a much better WebAssembly story than Python because Blazor lets you write stuff that's both server-side and in the browser. And now like, Blazor's going to have to react natives territory with WebAssembly. Okay, I don't know anything about Blazor. No, Blazor, tell me more. It's C-sharp in the browser with WebAssembly. You haven't heard of this, you serious? I, I've heard of C-sharp. I haven't heard of Blazor. <laughs> yeah, Blazor's <laughs> huge. <laughs> okay. Okay, this is not C-sharp jam. Yeah, look at Blazor. It's going to blow your mind. It's a much larger discussion that we can have right now. Okay, I see it right now. Okay, I did hear about this. I'd forgotten about it. So uh, do you really think Blazor is picking up Steam? If there is, if it's not JavaScript, what do you think? It doesn't need to pick up Steam. There's already an entire ecosystem of C-sharp developers in the world. That's true. Now all of a sudden can write web apps. That is true. That is actually a really good point. It goes back to the rise of other platforms like native apps, like Microsoft has a huge, massive ecosystem that they built around C-sharp. And that could be like, if you pull an ecosystem of that size and with that much muscles behind it, I could totally, you're absolutely right. I hate that. 
That makes a lot of sense. That would be the next contender. Is there others that come to mind? Not really. No. WebAssembly is also very integrated with what's happening in Rust. But I don't quite understand that as well. Because like WebAssembly is Rust, I think, or it was like at least created along with a team at Rust at Firefox. There's a lot of like integration there between the two. So that's a story that I don't quite understand because I don't know about Rust. But that's the other interesting bit here. That's another good one. My interpretation of Rust is like Ruby on Rails. Like the really sharp, cool kids really like it. And it'll have that niche early adopter, but I don't know if it's going to break out. It doesn't certainly have the size of the ecosystem like C Sharp does, but they'll always, it'll always be there because there'll always be somebody who's innovative in a team or in an ecosystem is, oh, let me do this with Rust. But, but Rust is like C plus, like it's not really good comparison of like a framework versus a language. So like people can yeah. build a Ruby on Rails with Rust, but comparison. I think of it as, as again, C Sharp. So I'm looking at it from a language perspective because we started with JavaScript and languages, but I hear what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts? I'm curious to hear more about what pe other people think than what I think. I haven't got too much to offer here. Only because, like, I've been uh, spending my mental bandwidth higher in the stack and things that I'm working on. Yeah. So, I, Anthony, thank you for sharing that. I'm, this is the first time I'm here in a blazer. But I've definitely been on the periphery of things like Rust and see it get used in a couple of different places. Rust, can, Rust can't run in the browser yet, can it? Or does it? Anything can run in the browser with WebAssembly. Well, it runs under, yeah, any sense. Everything so, runs in the browser now. Yeah. The best support for WebAssembly is for Rust, even better than JavaScript, as I learned to my chagrin. So in theory, you can, but like interacting with the DOM, I think still had, it was cumbersome and other things like that. But working with WebAssembly, it's like working with blockchain today. Like I think they're both in the similar boat in terms of like they're very new, they're very interesting and do things that nothing else can do, but they make you like really shoot glass to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have a lot of potential that is yet unrealized <laughs> and always seems like it's just around the corner. That makes a lot of sense. To yeah, buy. Hopped yeah. up here. Yeah. I saw you pop up. Did you have something you want to add before we go to an, another topic? Yes. Thank you. I want to say, uh, I think Doug Crockford's talk is like old man yells at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because I picked up on one of his updates to the good parts and it was talking about this part of js is good and then we can throw the other parts out and he basically people didn't follow his direction like ignored a lot of the stuff he was saying and i don't remember the exact points i just remember pointing out a few things that people are not really using in the terms that he thought they should be used and i feel like he got I don't know if you want to say sour grapes about JavaScript, but he's kind of saying, well, okay, people aren't listening to me. This is garbage. Just throw it out. There's a better spec down the road, but he doesn't very well informed. Hey, <laughs> like David Crawford has said, that's yeah. on the money right there. Actually. <laughs> hear that? Yeah, actually go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, without really having done it to crack the psyche, just having read uh, the good parts back in the day and using JS Lint when it was newer, he's very much a scientist with the language, right? So he yeah. has a very, probably a very purist approach and a very detailed approach and the average or even very good developer. He wanted that to be the cathedrals. He wants to be the angel, but it became the bizarre. So like, he, he wanted to design top down, but it became bottom up. Yeah. My thing is to take it with a grain of salt too. Just like a JS Lint and, uh, and the good parts. So I, I 
loved both of those things back in the day, but I didn't use all of the recommendations in them. I used the ones that were most practical for me. Like I omitted semicolon or I leveraged semicolons back in the day, according to JS Lint, because they would break production builds when minifiers didn't include them. So that was a practical one, but there were, I, I can't remember a really good example, but there were plenty of things that I ignored because it just it was for semantics or it didn't have a really practical application. So yeah, and Anthony well said on that too. Very much cathedral thinking possible. I'm actually just looking to see if he's on Twitter. I would love to get him on. He's too old to be on Twitter. <laughs> no. not, not to be ageist. <laughs> I see a lot of old people on Twitter. <laughs> Dude, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and I'm on Twitter. Yeah. You got Doug Copper and Bud Holder. Both of you. I'm not sure if you're aware. <laughs> I'm already getting gray hair. I'll leave it at that. Okay. So yeah, it'd be great to get him. We should take that as homework because I'd love to to just have him elaborate on it. But I think, yeah, there's probably an element of what you're saying here. I I actually was like, I have anything by him in years. I don't even know what he's been up to since the last decade, actually. Uh, is it is mainly he just decided, okay, yeah, after ES5, he was like, I'm done. And he went on to other things. Does anybody know? JavaScript is a committee now. He cannot influence JavaScript by himself. It's literally impossible. JavaScript is controlled by ECMO. One person cannot influence JavaScript. It's impossible. He was part of the committee back in the day, I believe. He was part yeah, of the... Yeah, and one person is a committee of like dozens of people, though, who all have features for different companies. But he's no longer part of that committee. I guess what I'm saying is that what is, he hasn't been active in the ecosystem, it seems like, in the last few years. Or maybe yeah, I guess he probably didn't like the fact that he had to work through a political process to make things happen in JavaScript. This is back to psychoanalyze. Oh, right. So this one, I'll defend him. He had to work through a committee in the beginning anyways. I don't feel like that's a change from, maybe he just, he finally gave up fighting against the wall. But let's, maybe we're getting into psychology here more than JavaScript. But I, I hear what you're saying. It'd be Because he once represented a single force that would like, and there's two opposing forces that were going after JavaScript, whereas now 10 opposing forces. It's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. So you're saying it's just because it's become more important as a platform, it's it's now been muscled in much larger entities and I think it's larger interests. I think it's yeah. healthy for JavaScript. I have one person represent Microsoft in the fight for the history of JavaScript in a two-man fight or two-person fight, sorry, doesn't make much sense. That's not good. And I think the fact that JavaScript is like my web three thing coming in here, the fact that JavaScript mm -hmm. decentralized now is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was why it was in a committee. And it's better than where it was before, where before it was a committee and it was just JScript and Microsoft's own implementation. So I, I agree with that. I don't know if the committee is the reason he gave up or he just, he, I'd love to know from him. Maybe we see if we can get him on in, in a future episode of live or the podcast and see what we can have him say. We're at nearly the halfway point. So I'll do the station break again. Uh, saying, welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. We are an open mic, as much audience-driven as speaker-driven. Feel free to raise your hand if you have something you want to comment on or something you want to ask about. If you want to suggest a new topic that we're not yet talking about, feel free to raise your hand. We're always happy to change the subject. Like maybe Prisma, because we got a, a Prisma employee in the crowd. I saw that. Feel free to, to raise your hand. I did not be interviewed an old Prisma employee for a Web3 thing. Daniel, who used to work at Prisma, now works for IPFS. Which I had taught you all about IPFS. <laughs> Daniel Norton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it. I was listening in a little bit. Yeah, you were. <laughs> so one last thing on Crockford. Is yeah. The, 
like he is active on GitHub and at least promoting or pushing code into the repository for his latest JavaScript book. So as recently as a few days ago. So there you go. Oh, my guess is that's why I'm seeing interviews and stuff by him is he must be promoting his latest book. Maybe we can get him on. That'll be great. Unless anybody else, anything else on this topic, we can go to something else. The one that caught my attention, but let me pause, see if anybody else has anything else, because there's a couple things that caught my attention over the last week. Okay, going once, going twice. Um, I do have one. Yeah. um, Zach Leatherman, the uh, creator of Eleventy, put out uh, SSG benchmark. Did you see this? No, I didn't. Tell me more. <laughs> it's, so he benchmarked like Elevity versus Asha versus Next.js versus Remix. Do you notice that Remix is not a static site generator? <laughs> so it was, it was a benchmark that I described as, do you know what p-hacking is? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I described as web dev p-hacking. He created a benchmark that made Remix look like crap, <laughs> which I found to be a little bit inflammatory. And then... <laughs> He basically wrote a whole blog post saying Remix doesn't scale. So it was interesting and it led to a very wide ranging discussion across a lot of different communities I was in. I bet. <laughs> That's kind of, that sounds like a fire bait. Can you inform us on what's peak hacking for the older folks? So peak hacking <laughs> is when you write a scientific study, you create like a double blind study that runs a whole bunch of data points. And then you have a bunch of data that you go back and you like try and find like statistical patterns in. And so you can design a study in a way where it leads to something that looks like a significant result, even though it was reverse engineered to make it look significant. So it may not actually yeah. prove something. Yeah. So that's the idea of p-hacking. So yeah. Like reporting. Yeah. yeah. So basically, right, it comes from the, typically p represents the statistical significance of the finding, right? And most journals had a arbitrary 5 Yeah, meaning a 95% confidence in quotes that the finding wasn't just a random fluke of the data. And so the idea is, well, let me just throw lots of data and just see what results happen to have that. And you see this in nutrition a lot. You do a study and let's see, oh, the people who had this random, I don't know, potassium, right? Seemed to get some better result. Okay, maybe that's implicated. But in theory, you're supposed to have the hypothesis first and then test it. So this was funny to me because it's both, I see the game he's playing and I want to call it out because I think it's bad. But at the same time, if anyone deserves to have this game played against them, it's a remix. Because the remix says they're the best. They do everything better than everybody. <laughs> my One of my professors in college used to say, there's journal paper after journal paper that shows an algorithm as optimal. And it's always, you got to ask yourself, optimal for what purpose? There's always an optimal algorithm if you redefine what optimal is. And so it, it sounds like that's what happened here. Um, I think I found yeah. it on his webpage. And then <laughs> if you go to ajcwebdev.com forward slash it does dash remix dash scale, you'll have an entire blog post as a response to his blog post because I want people to know that blog post was BS. <laughs> but at the same time, it's clever as hell. You know, wow. I think it's the most cleverest. I've seen your blog post. The cleverest thing actually about this whole thing isn't the findings it is actually the human side of this it's the communication the results so if you go to his web page what i really like is he drew the graph and then to emphasize how far remix is off the graph like the classic way you do this is you put a break and then say it's up at this area but what he does is he has the line go all the way through the entire through the entire website (laughs) that is the website (laughs) it breaks the website it's (laughs) all Freaking brilliant. I almost wanted to give it to him 
just in such a compelling way to present the results. Because like you're reading and you're like, what is this line that's running through the headline of this page? And you just scroll <laughs> down the article. I'm looking at it now. That's amazing. <laughs> that is brilliant. That Literally is, off the charts. It is exactly. Oh, you beat me to it. Yeah. That's great. That's a great way to present it. It's definitely not going to last horrible. Yeah, it's going to be totally memorable. And it just emphasizes that statement, like a lie gets a lot more, gets halfway, seven times around the world before the truth is been able to put its pants on. This is just a great way to misrepresent. Wow. It makes me think if you wrote an article on how the top 10 hammers are efficient at nailing in nails and one of them is a screwdriver <laughs> that is a great analogy yeah that, I, that's my, I've heard that I've heard a couple different analogies have this the one I like Ben Myers told me this the apparently Einstein said this it's like testing how well a switch a fish can climb a tree I admire the rest of the work done on this and with that uh, there's probably a lot of credibility in here for the other pieces of data it's a benchmark and actually he'll right. source the benchmark which right. i also call out in my blog post which is, i think is the open source benchmark is now a remix so it can sit down and spend a week pounding about do and optimize that benchmark if they are so inclined and someone already did someone already opened up a pr for the repo to say hey here's the way to make remix scale and Zach, eh, we are using a third-party library. And he's like, Doug, since I'm supposed to do that, yeah, this third-party library. It's like fast discussion now to get hub out the benchmark. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see. Somebody posted a PR that moves it down from 47 to one second. This is just, oh, man. <laughs> That's, okay, that definitely brightened my day. That was really, at least is interesting. I'm, I'm never going to forget that. That was really interesting. So do you think people bought this? Like, it's, I see people who seem to think. Uh, I think I'm wise range of perspective i saw some people who were like this is dumb obviously i thought some people were like yeah remix nothing to scale and i saw some people make the argument that this is exposing a weakness in remix the remix can't churn out four thousand markdown files into html in a reasonable amount of time that means it won't be able to do at task and it's a speculation like i'm i don't buy that until you actually yeah, it's not its job <laughs> yeah it's stupid and then some people just didn't really get what it was doing some people still don't get what their feet ssg and ssr and i didn't get their ssg ssr for many years as a developer so i i sympathize with that i'm just looking through the twitter thread and there are people who like didn't get the joke and somebody's an impossible button your chart <laughs> <laughs> and then this is just great trolling. Zach's like, my stance that it's a bug in Remix. So, wow. But, yep, but it's, you know, it's not what Remix is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trent uh, Kent would argue that's a feature. <laughs> it's not made for generating static HTML. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> okay, that's a that's definitely a good one. Thank you for, I'm going to add the next talk. That's yeah, a good one. Feel free, anyone else whose listener wants to hop up, propose a topic. That was the main one I wanted to talk about. So, that you. <laughs> Your dash. Dude. Oh, yeah. One of our speakers from oh, last week. Yeah. And if you have the availability, I invited you up. Yeah. He was one of our speakers from last week. And he was the code on the beach. And we get, how do you guys feel about composability? Like we did the thing last week, but like composability is over now. Like, how do you feel about it? Like, we get like, like a, a wrap up on composability. Oh, it ain't over yet. I know it ain't <laughs> over, but it, the thing that it was to start it is over. So how is the end of the first chapter, Scott, I should say? Yeah. Yeah. Ishan, do you want to extrapolate on that? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I think we got, we 
set out to accomplish the in the launch of the summit. So the summit, the site, I think of it as the, as an evergreen. The goal is we knew like these things start small and they grow over time. Look at, for example, the topic I was actually going to mention was like Jamstack. And so our goal with the summit was just to kickstart the site and have a resource that we can catalyze a community around this idea of composing. And I actually think credit to the team here on this is the topic to gather around because I actually see others in the ecosystem now using the same term and renaming their own summits towards composability in the same topic. So who have much bigger megaphone than, than we do, welcome to add them to the community as well. And so the goal is to really kickstart what is going to be a an ongoing, think of it like an evergreen summit or evergreen community with other types of ecosystems. And so I was, I hats off to the team and all the speakers and everyone who participated. We, we definitely got the ball rolling. I think what you're going to see moving forward is we're going to be as actually we alluded to earlier at the beginning and Scott talked about, there'll be a newsletter. We're going to have additional content, additional activities, additional stuff you're going to see from Dev moving forward in the coming months and, and years. And I guess what I would say is it isn't just over yet. In fact, it's just beginning. And so in that sense, I was really happy. I was, I, some of the talks I found were really fascinating. They, they actually were, there's a lot that I didn't know about that I learned and there were interesting parallels you could draw between stuff. Expand on yeah. that were some of the yeah, so, interesting uh, parallels. Overlaps. So and yeah, yours... J-Dash can hop up also would be cool. Yeah. yeah yours and J-Dash is actually, cause. Ah, sweet. <laughs> J-Dash. So, like, when we were organizing, whether Web3 or not should be a topic. And you helped change my mind on that. And I went off to some research as well in what people are doing. And there's actually a great Freakonomics pod three pod on Web3 and NFTs and Bitcoin. Cool. Glad you went down the rabbit hole. Because, yeah. It's oh, yeah. A very relevant topic in a lot of ways. And the composability term itself has already been adopted in Web3. Yeah, to bring it to Jay Dash's talk. So Jay Dash was talking about almost like the intersect. I love the talk title too. Like developers are the new rock stars. Take it from a rock star. And he's looking at the IP model of intellectual property model of the record label and the IP model for developers. And saying as a developer, you write code, but you don't get maybe residual royalties or income from that. But with NFTs and Web3 was one of the things that made me think about your talk. That's now possible. And I know one of the examples they highlighted in this podcast on Freakonomics was there's a creator, a sculptor, he creates these rockets. And then when you resell the NFT, you can have a contract that says, hey, anytime this thing gets resold, the original. So this is great for that artist to like, Nobody recognized them in their time and now they're old and their works are worth millions, but they don't get any income off of that. It's all the art collectors and speculators. And when you think about that in the model that Jade Ash was talking about in his talk, it, it really broadened my perspective in certain areas. There's areas that also like the idea of using, looking at code snippets as a whole space of tooling and composability and productivity. Like it's the classic to me, like the product management thing. Like I, I like to point out is when Apple came up with the lightning connector, it was this connector that you could insert. There's no wrong way to insert it. Really. You could insert up or down compared to the USB connector. And it's like a thing that everyone probably did a million times in their lifetime. And somebody said, wait, stop. There's something more here. 
that's we how many times do you go to Stack Overflow? You look, find your piece of code and you copy it in or you're copy pasting code around. And there's a whole set of tooling around whether it's GitHub Copilot, which is an AI-driven form of it, or what they do at Codigo, which is a more developer-driven library for composable code snippets and say, hey, that's a new way to construct your code. That was also really mind-expanding. But for me, this idea that, hey, let's look at development as Lego bricks and how do we catalyze an ecosystem around that? I really think it was really expand for me and it was really interesting. So that's my take. I, I don't know if Scott or you have anything you want to add on that. Yeah, no, I think you pretty much nailed it. Like Sean said, we were, we're really going for the long-term evergreen model here to continually build out composability and not just from composability at the summit, but obviously as the website, as a community and future events as well, which we will be dripping out some things in the near future on what that looks like. So get excited for more things to come when it comes to events as well, which are also going to point to not just really as a whole, but go broader as well. Casting wider nets, getting more people involved, which is yeah. what it's all about. Creating thought leadership, getting more people involved. It's going to be fun. So absolutely excited for the future. How is it as a speaker? Yeah, Anthony, J-Dash, either. Still? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I had to create a video that was like. Fabian. Yeah, It was also there. Yeah. 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 I'm not a big fan of like conferences that are like virtual with recorded videos. It just kind of feels like not a conference. So it's like, not, I get this to composability. I think I'm going to, just from how I feel with the entire medium as a whole. But I'm glad that. You gave me the excuse to sit down and do it. And I think it turned out great. And there's lots of awesome videos associated with it. But for me, it's, I have a hard time thinking about like a conference and not like a way to premiere lots and lots of like recorded content, which is kind of different. It's probably like a premiere in that respect, which is cool, but like different from a conference, which is like a live thing. Yeah. So, right. Hence why we didn't use the terminology conference. It was Summit. So trying to... My fault for like... a conference center, however, to talk about it literally <laughs> anybody. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, it's a summit. And so that's why I went with the verbal piece of it. But anyway, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that you thought it was valuable. <laughs> that's good. Oh, yeah, look at that. What's up, dude? Hey, Demetrius. Yeah, man, last time I saw you was uh, Render. <laughs> saw you at Render. Oh, Render. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You guys he was, he was at Render. I had it. Yeah. Andrew Render. During Render. Actually, no, no, Demetrius didn't show it. I'm sorry. His his buddy. Oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. Scott. Holy God. God. Right now. <laughs> I did. Hey, I, I got an injection in my eye yesterday. And it's just like messing with my brain. But Ishan, you know who I'm talking about. Netlify. That was that release. Oh, Demetrius. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's who I thought. Yeah. Rendered. Yeah, sorry. Demetrius yeah. is sick or something. That's you he couldn't saw show. Him. He couldn't show it, Render. We everybody was disappointed, by the way, Demetrius. Come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, feel free yeah. to raise your hand and come up to the stage, Demetrius. Uh, yeah, man, or not. We're, we're just like talking about you while you're here in the crowd. Yeah, so I, I invited him up. <laughs> I invited him up. Okay, if he wants to come. Okay, that it turns out. So the thing that I was going to raise is the next topic, unless anybody has any other one. So thanks yeah, for for two of those. It, it, but it, I'll, it. I'll give going once, going just open it up for anybody else to change the subject or comment on this before I close it out. Once, twice. Okay, three times. So the other thing that caught my eye over the last, not just week, but two weeks, was the redefinition of the Jamstack. Did you guys see that one? Oh. Could the Jamstack be refined, redefined one more time? What did people I, think? I, what were their reactions? I, I Get the one-liner. What did it say? How has it been redefined? 
was the new definition. Okay, so if you're in the notes document, but you can also go to the Netlify blog. The title is The Jamstack Definition Evolved. It was posted actually earlier this month, or actually last month. It was on July 11th. And they present a refresh definition of the Jamstack. And it says, it's an architectural approach that decouples the web experience layer from data and business logic, improving flexibility, scalability, performance. Jamstack removes the need for business logic to dictate the web experience. It enables a composable architecture for the web where custom logic and third-party services are consumed through APIs. The best practices for building with the Jamstack evolve alongside modern technologies. That's great. It's probably the Jamstack just took composability. Well, it's a couple of cues from composability and mock and all that. <laughs> so that's tight. Yeah. So I, this is near and dear because if you go to javascriptjam.com, I think it was a year ago, two years ago, we had, there was a talk I gave at, that Brian Rinaldi runs where I gave a talk that was titled Jamstack Identity Crisis. And he, Brian actually wanted me to rename it because he got, people said, no, there, there's no need to change the definition. So it was just called evolution, where I was basically saying the definition needs to evolve. And then we actually had an episode of JavaScript Jam where we had a panel debating what should the definition of Jamstack be going forward. So this is like that, that's a panel. common topic. I was on that panel. I think it might be, yeah, I think you yeah. were on that panel. Yeah, pretty sure uh, panel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, if you go to JavaScript Jam, Dot com. Let's go see which episode it was. It was episode number. Uh, it was number five. You were not on that panel, actually. Uh, oh no, I know it. Had, I I looked at that panel. I was on the panel that talked about Jamstack.com. That was the panel. That, that was, yes. Okay. Yeah. Which also so this is a tack out of a lot of these concepts. Oh yeah. Look in Brian Rinaldi's newsletter. He's like, hey, here's something we haven't debated before. What is the definition of Jamstack? And what it's archives. That, was that a joke? The, Debating the definition of Jamstack is the favorite pastime of the Jamstack. <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes seems that way. And I remember when we were doing what we do, and people were like, oh, no, that's not Jamstack. And I, the definition seems to have finally caught up to what we're doing. But we were saying that this should have been part of the definition. So there's a lot of people who think Jamstack should have been, I'll call it static first. And so I was glad to see that the definition is now more expansive. Because if you go listen to that panel, it's episode number five. There's a bunch of folks advocating that the definition should be, and that it should be, if not static only, but first or static as much as possible. And this new definition drops static, which is a really, to me, a significant departure from, I think, where the, at least some segment of the ecosystem has always self-identified with. Did so, really near and dear to me as someone who was like pitching the full stack jam sack for so long because yeah. and we talked about this when you were on FS Jam is that yes me the full stack jam sack was that was me making the same pitch that static only doesn't make any sense because you have a full stack of something is static. You can't have a static backend it so you have to expand out from that idea to build an application it's just a question of where and where is the static end and begin and then how the static stuff interacts with the rest of it. If we're talking this on FSGM, Mino Mike, given your experience and place in the ecosystem, especially at EchoBind, and I'm curious what your thoughts or reaction. Yes, I haven't followed the argument. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but to be a full stack jam stack for over a year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Anthony, like, I love the fact that you've used that term. I'm actually using it in my top court next week. I got to. Give you a shout out in there, but like the full stack jam stack is me. Like it, it, it was the next evolution of the web. I'm somebody who like 
did a bunch of Ruby on Rails for a while. And before that, did a bunch of PHP. So you've got it's not like anything new, but just the way that we've been leveraging it is. So I can't even remember exactly how they formulated the previous definitions. So I have to like go back and reference it. But I like that they're pulling in composable architecture and this deep... This decoupling that they're talking about from business logic on the data end of things and the web experience, like it was implicit, I think, in the previous definition and implicit in the architecture. They're just specifying it more explicitly and then adding in this last sentence for like best practices evolving. It's kind of put in the clause for, okay, we don't have to define these pieces yet. It's going to keep on changing as time goes on. That way you're not locking into a definition that's too hard coded. So, you know, that. I guess my take overall was it, it didn't throw me for a loop or anything like that. Daddy's boiler, like you, yeah, I've been debated about since the get, but uh, me, I don't preserve these details in my head and as much anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's the yeah. Cause look, the main definition was JavaScript, Jam segment, JavaScript APIs and markup. It was an acronym. That's why you right. see right. Jet capitalize. And then they're like, wait, no, we're getting rid of the acronym. We're going to stop capitalizing it. Half yep. system changed all their brand. The other half, the same capitalization. They have realized their consent dollars is a huge weird branding split. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so now that they themselves from the acronym, they need to also now explain what decoupling itself means. Yeah. But tell me this, I only know a little bit about what composable architecture means, but is this new definition saying that it's no longer JavaScript APIs and markup? Then like it's saying you can do with other tech to achieve the same thing. Cause I exactly. you know, think about Jekyll is Jamstack. Jekyll is Jamstack and it's using a Ruby to spit out a bunch of HTML files. Like the mm-hmm. concept of JavaScript and Jekyll, if you don't want there to be. So the Jamstack is about how you have a front and a back end be two decoupled systems that speak to each other over a communication layer. And that is language agnostic. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. And that was, I think, the big departure too far when I would push people to a defin- similar definition, even just a few years ago. Like to, I guess, rephrase the objections I would hear. It's like the definition seems less well-defined and almost to the point that it may become meaningless. What is it then? It's no longer, people would throw for Luke, for example, that it's no longer JavaScript. If, if right? the opposite of WordPress, the, the definition <laughs> of it being the opposite of WordPress has been and will continue to hold, I think. I don't know about that. One of the panelists we had <laughs> was somebody in the WordPress ecosystem. We brought Stratic. Yeah, and he was explaining how you put it in a way that turns it into a Jamstack architecture. You can use WordPress in a Jamstack architecture, yeah, but yeah. then Jamstack wins. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is the point. Like some people, people are like, if it's not JavaScript, they're very tied almost identity wise to the original definition and it being JavaScript and JavaScript <laughs> being the first letter. I'm glad that it's a broader definition now. I feel like I don't have to, I can at least point people to the website that says Jamstack. Look, it's broader than just this. Although one more shout out to Demetrius who is working on coming through PRs for the GitHub repo of jamstack.org. So nice. shout out to me for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Important community effort that he is taking on. Good for oh, him. he's on. Don't, don't expect the timeline for when all those get closed. So <laughs> look back to that. Take on I that. see your tweet now that you're on your PC and that's why you can't react or raise your hand. Yeah, but, I pinned uh, it. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter needs to change that. Come on. How much more I feel like spaces would grow because people could use it on the laptop, and then, laptop. 
One more shout out to Jacob who just hopped in. If you want to come up on the stage, feel free, buddy. Otherwise, feel free to keep listening. It's another person you actually on lots of spaces <laughs> chat with. Yeah, Jacob was in here last week or the week yeah. before. Yeah. Yep. Well, we all know that audio streaming is an unsolved problem on the I understand why Twitter. <laughs> Maybe oh who's that who's that developer that Ben Awad, who has the pretty popular YouTube channel that, that was doing a Clubhouse clone? open source maybe they could just borrow that source code and plug it into the their stack i don't know <laughs> oh boy i'm never fighting word no. being, being a little too salty now i guess <laughs> i i think they're busy with their spat with elon right now yeah but i digress it looks like jacob just came up we've only got five minutes left i have to i have a hard stop i'll i we have able stop might be able to stand longer i'm not sure or we can keep it going but yeah but Jacob, what did you want to close us out with? Yeah, why don't we, why don't we surmise what this talk has been, been about? I can give my two cents for sure. I'm a highly opinionated individual. Not nearly as much okay. as uh, my mutual friend with AJ. We have a... Uh, oh, yeah, Thea's been around before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had a great talk. He was actually here last week as part of the panel. But the question I would we're talking about right now is the redefinition of the Jamstack that Netlify came out with, I don't know if you saw it, in July 11th and said, here's the new definition. And it was one that wasn't tied to JavaScript APIs and markup as strictly. And it was just about a architecture that decouples the front end from the back end. And that is the new definition of Jamstack, if I was to summarize. I don't know if you saw it or if you have any thoughts, or maybe you're like, oh, it wasn't already that definition. So that's what we're talking about. First off, it's funny that they took an acronym and co-opted it for whatever like idea that they had pretty interesting to me. However, I saw quote unquote jam becoming a little bit more ambiguous, probably around three and a half, four years ago when Redwood JS started getting kind of, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, hold on. Let me look at your audience. Anthony is a maintainer on, or part of the core team of Redwood, but sorry, keep going. No, absolutely. That, that already had started to blur the line of what Jamstack stood for. So like this idea of taking it and then completely changing its meaning. Yeah, that, that isn't too far-fetched though. It's this idea of decoupling your front end from a back end. It was a paradigm, like a pattern that was already happening, regardless if we gave it some sort of hypey bandwagon name. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think one of the big influences was greater capabilities on the client in JavaScript. And then I think there's this threat of, can we build sites through APIs in a way that potentially mimic how native applications did things as an influence? The pushback I've always had against that definition has been, as I was saying earlier, just people who felt like it needed to be those three things had to be mm-hmm. key ingredients rather than, and we, at the composability summit, we touched a little bit on this. There's architectures that are called API first. You can have a microservices architecture that may or may not be Jamstack. You can have this thing, the red, red monk has called it the smokestack. Gardner has something they call a composable architecture, but it's this idea. That I actually like composable architecture, the best out of all of these. Yeah. Mock is yeah. inscrutable, smokestack is inscrutable, like composability gets added. I like composable architecture, even though they have just given it a term that doesn't say they really done much with it. I like that term. Here, here, here. Then hats off to 
So I guess Scott and and Daniel for settling on composability.dev like nearly half a year ago is the right way to encompass all of this. But yeah, I think it captures it. I think the Lego brick or the building block brick, because we don't want to get sued, is the is a great analogy there. It's this idea that you can build and rebuild your stack. I find like it's a great way to explain to people. Yeah, like you can just like with Legos, you can get a Lego set and it can build. And I did this in my talk. You can either be a dinosaur or it can be a car or something like this. You can do the same thing as your business needs and change and evolve. And what really blew my mind was like when McKinsey did a survey and only 10% of executives thought their existing business model wouldn't need any change. And basically meant that nine out of 10 think they're going to have to rebuild and retool their model or their business. And addition's going to be a huge part of it. So they're going to have to take about those Lego bricks and reassemble them at some point. And if you're composable, that's going to be a lot easier to do and a greater competitive advantage. By the way, I know we're right at the end that Scott's going to close it out, but Theo is about to stream with Peter Pistorius about Redwood right now. Everyone should go watch that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I probably have to go watch that because I'm mod on there. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just double down and say, it's funny. I think that if I use that as like a, the jam thing and saying that, oh, it means more than this to create a mental model of something that was already happening in the industry, like even big systems like Vercel and Next.js or Remix or Cloudflare, which is where I work, all these platforms, all these meta frameworks and stuff, they're been moving towards this decoupling for a very long time and Overall, taking the thing that stands for JavaScript API markup <laughs> and being like, it means more than these three things. I would say that's, if anything, it's more of a, a marketing ploy, but the sentiment is still true. Yeah, I have to, I have a hard stop. So I leave it that. All right, y'all. Well, thank y'all so much. Appreciate it. Ishan, thank you for leading and guiding the peer. Loved it. There was a lot of great value from everybody that spoke today. By the way, if you got value from somebody up here on the stage, whatever you call it, feel free to click on their face or their donut and follow them. <laughs> and yeah, because they're probably going to give you more value elsewhere that they are talking or speaking to. So not just here. Yeah. Love y'all so much. Thank you all for joining us. We will be here again. Actually, I don't know if I will be. I'll be on PTO, but next week. Who's running it next week? I'll be here. Ishan will be for sure. I may join up just for the heck of it, even on a PTO day. I don't know. We'll see what it looks like. But anyway, thank y'all so much. Greatly appreciate it. Join us again next week, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll be talking about everything and everything JavaScript and web dev related, just like today. All right. Thank y'all so much. Yo. Peace out.